0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at tiaa.org/promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hey, it's Jesse coming at you this week with an episode from our archive and. This one is exactly on target for our year about informed optimism. I'm bringing you a conversation with the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella. Microsoft, by the way, owns this company, LinkedIn, but that's not why I had Satya on the show. I first met Satya many years before I came to work here when I was a writer at Wired. He had been in the role of CEO of Microsoft just a year, but he had spent most of his career at this company And I got to write the cover story, the first cover story that Wired did about his tenure at Microsoft. Um, It was a pretty amazing story of course for the work that he has done. But what jumped out to me was his character, his empathy, his strong ability to have real vision and trust in people. And that's what I wanted to explore in this episode That and this really big idea that he had, that he introduced me to for the first time, and that has subsequently become so key to our show. That idea is the idea of growth mindset, of building up the potential and the promise for people to believe that they can change. Isn't that what leadership should be? I I certainly think so. I hope you enjoy this episode, and we'll be back with you next week. Here's Satya Nadella. From the editorial team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday, a show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. We all have fundamental qualities, those things that we've learned over time to be true about ourselves. Like me, I'm a good writer. I'm pretty intuitive. I'm not great at writing headlines. So I want to start this week with a question for you. Are you the kind of person who believes that these qualities are fixed? Or do you think you can change and improve? This week's guest has a strong point of view on the answer.
1: If you take two kids in school, one of them has more innate capability but is a know-it-all. The other person has less innate capability but is a learn-it-all. You know how the story ends. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all.
0: That's Satya Nadella. He's the CEO of Microsoft, which technically means he's my boss since Microsoft owns LinkedIn. But I've known him since I was at Wired, right after he became CEO, And this idea he has that it's more important to be a good learner than to be a genius, he didn't invent it. It came out of research from a Stanford psychology professor, Carol Dweck. She calls this a growth mindset. Satya embodies a growth mindset. Microsoft was a stodgy, stagnant company when he became CEO. And pushing people to think of themselves as students was part of how he changed things. Even more, this is Satya's personal approach to his life and his career. I started by asking him about his first job.
1: My first job—I'll say my first paycheck. I remember was playing uh, an under-15 game for of cricket for my state. I'll never forget that. I got this—in uh, fact, it was, it was cash that was handed out, and it was just so awesome to receive that.
0: Wait, you—you you were so. You, what you're telling me is that you were a professional athlete wow. before you were. That,
1: a... That's going way too <laughs> far in my cricketing <laughs> province. But I did get my first paycheck as a 14-year-old playing cricket. <laughs> um,
0: so that was in India. So I would love for you to tell us a little bit about the trajectory of your early career. How did you get to the United States?
1: Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, I grew up in a household uh, where my both my parents were, I would say, academically well accomplished. And uh, my mom was a professor of Sanskrit and my father was an economist and a civil servant. And uh, they were very different in the sense my mother was someone who really believed in being present, uh, being able to take in all of life, having patience. My father was just this intellectually curious person who loved ideas and... uh, uh, they couldn't agree much on anything, uh, so they left me uh, to my own vices and sort of really gave me room and confidence and support. And so I grew up, as I said, playing cricket, uh, reading. Uh, I remember the summers were spent mostly reading uh, the Russian author, you know, Russian novelists uh, and playing cricket. And then suddenly, uh, I showed up in an engineering college. And that's when I really found my academic or professional, I would say, Grounding. Uh, mm-hmm. I loved it. I was an electrical engineer, uh, undergrad, growing up, and it was great. I mean, it was just something that I love building things, learning things. And then I was not planning. Uh, I mean, I'd never been to the west of Bombay. And I was not planning on going to the west of Bombay. And suddenly I showed up in Wisconsin um, in the fall of 1988. And um, I, I sort of remember that. I remember landing in O'Hare and I was saying, wow, this place is quiet. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, <laughs> I flew in on my 21st birthday from New Delhi to uh, Chicago and then go to drive down to Milwaukee, and I see all this, like, wow, you know, lakes and people are sailing, and the sun is out. I say, God, this is fantastic. And then, of course, the winter hit, uh, and I realized that, oh, this is different.
0: Yes, like one week later, the winter hit and hung on for <laughs> six months, probably. Uh,
1: yeah, so, and, and I, I switched, in fact, uh, to computer science, which uh, was so fortuitous when I look back at it, um, to the job I have even today, having that. You know, in the late 80s, studying electrical engineering. In the early 90s or late 80s, again, studying computer science to be prepared for a career starting in uh, essentially what is software uh, in the 90s. Talk about timing. Uh, That was sort of perfect timing when I look back uh, with 2020 hindsight.
0: Now, for some period of time... After you went into that career, you were actually working in one place and then flying and traveling to get your MBA in another place, right?
1: Yes. In fact, uh, so I was working at Sun Microsystems. uh, That was my first job out of... uh uh, my master's degree, and it uh, that was, that was in the Bay Area, and uh, and then after a couple of years, I wrote my GMAT, and then I got into a business school, um, and so I decided to go to business school, and so I dropped. I mean, so I resigned from Sun uh, to go to business school. Just before uh, I w- decided to go to business school, I would interviewed at Microsoft. I had a job offer from Microsoft as well, and I sort of decided not to take that offer, uh, but go to business school. But then one of my uh, bosses who had given me the offer said, hey, look, you probably want to be at Microsoft because, you know, you'll want to do come back here anyway after business school. And so that's what, what year is this? This is 1992. Yeah. Um, and so I started my uh, Microsoft. Right. And then so then I went back, I think, in 94. And I said, oh, let me finish my MBA and uh, both Microsoft, in fact, nobody at Microsoft knew I was even doing that because I didn't even bother to sort of say because Chicago, the University of Chicago had this pretty, now I think they still have it, which is a program where you could actually finish an MBA uh, by just going on a Saturday. And so from Seattle, I'll, I'll never, forget, I, mean, I don't know how I did it, but I would do, take a red eye on Fridays, uh, show up in the morning, take two classes, come back on Saturday night, And did that for two and a half years, although one quarter I think I I did full time. But nevertheless, it sort of was a pretty interesting experience.
0: So, Sacha, what was your framework for making career decisions during this period of your life? I mean, you had to be pretty motivated towards something in order to want to complete that MBA.
1: What got me to even say I want to do the MBA was more curiosity to go learn what is a cash flow statement. I remember distinctly someone saying, hey, here is the valuation of some company we were doing some M&A around. And I said, what the heck does valuation mean? I wanna go learn this. And what's the best way to learn it? And so in some sense, my uh, that's sort of what has driven me, whether it is the MBA or you know, to your point about what's the framework, when do I feel like, oh, I, I love that, I love hitting the books back. And when I say books, it's not just book knowledge, but meeting new people who know things, uh, learning from them. I thrive in it. I love it. Uh, even today, I mean, I'm always looking for what's the thing that I don't understand that I can go learn uh, and then apply. I mean, I am much more grounded in what does that mean? Like, am I able to do what I'm currently doing better because of that knowledge?
0: I know that you are a lover of poetry, that you have a deep interest in many, many different fields. And I'm curious if there's any time in your life and very busy life as CEO to continue to nurture those other passions right now.
1: It's a good question. I mean, I've had to pick up new habits on how to learn, I would say, or pick up things and satisfy my curiosity. Perhaps, I mean, I don't do as much long-form continuous reading, but I still buy more books than I finish. So I'm, you know, able to, I've picked up, some people say maybe bad habits of not finishing things, but I can dive in and I know how to flip through books fast. Meeting people, the greatest privilege of the the job I have is meeting with people. Uh, And so I'm always, you know, learning in terms of at least, uh, you know, I may have picked up a habit or two which is new in terms of how I learn, uh, but uh, that's definitely how I'm oriented.
0: So you have been in this role now for close to six years. You hadn't spoken to as many groups of people yet. You were still sort of getting your footing in the job. It was early on. And I'd love to hear your reflections on what you've learned about being a CEO.
1: In all honesty, I have not reflected as deeply as perhaps I should as to how have my own point of view on what a CEO does and what a CEO, uh, what have I learned even in the five and a half years. But a couple of things stand out. I must say, even one step removed from, quote-unquote, being CEO of Microsoft, I feel I was really not prepared. Uh, What I mean by that is I had not truly understood perhaps two dimensions of the job. One is how ultimately you have to take accountability and responsibility. Uh, It's fascinating, you know, when you have someone you work for, how much you rely on that mentorship, that leadership. In some sense, it takes a lot of pressure off. And so to ultimately say, whoa, now the 100 plus thousand people at Microsoft, uh, I need to make sure... Uh, we have a sense of purpose. We have a culture. A lot of these things I'd probably not recognized, and I recognized it now it now much more. The other thing is the multi constituent nature, yeah. right? I mean, I of course understood that customers are important, partners are important, and but I had not dealt with many constituents. I'd never really met with investors. Uh, before I became a CEO. <laughs> um, of course.
0: Why would you have, right? You know, I mean, yeah. I mean,
1: You know, in some sense, you know, Steve and Bill and others handled sure. it. And at Microsoft, we grew up Uh, with perhaps a much more narrower understanding of the constituents we serve. And so, therefore, that has been a big revelation for me. In today's world, in 2019, it's not about just investors. It's not about customers, employees, partners. uh, It's governments. It's about all of them. And perhaps more than anything else, it's not like, oh, I can compartmentalize it. Let me talk to investors about their concerns and then go to customers and then go to others. You have to harmonize. One of the things I've recognized is the CEO's job is to figure out how to harmonize the multiple constituents who are all important. Right. And then what does it mean uh, to be a firm, be a business that's really doing well by all of them?
0: So to take a step back a second, wh- what is the role of an institution in the 21st century? And, and in light of that, what is your role as its leader?
1: Think about a private enterprise, right. uh, at least in our system, there is no, I would say, God-given right for it to exist beyond its utility to the world. So I think that, of course, institutions and institutional strengths is something matter a lot. I sort of contrast a private company and let's say something like our um, Congress. There are two different things. The institutional strength of Congress is something that we absolutely have to preserve uh, because it's so important. Uh, We won't have a country without it. Uh, We won't have our form of democracy without it. Uh, Whereas a company has to be measured by its total utility for all these constituents. It can't be measured narrowly, I would say, by just maybe uh, one constituent, uh, but it has to have real relevance, real utility. That means it's creating something uh, that is useful broadly in the world. So I always say, at least uh, for Microsoft, is we'll be around as long as we're doing useful things for people. Uh, And so that's why that sense of purpose and mission, right? I always go back. There's not a meeting at Microsoft. I don't start by talking about our mission and ending it with our culture, Uh, but because that's why it is. Our institutional strength comes from those two things.
0: So that really speaks to culture. And when you first arrived at Microsoft, there was a very different culture at the company. A lot has changed. And I'm curious what you might have to offer by way of reflection on how you change an institution that size. Is it about firing a lot of people, hiring a lot of people?
1: Well, I mean, remember, I am a consummate insider. I've grown up at Microsoft pretty much all my professional career. So therefore, all that is good uh, and all that is bad uh, about Microsoft and its culture, in some sense, I'm part of it. So it also gave me uh, perhaps more permission to both criticize it, as well as, you know, perhaps talk about it in a way which was more genuine because there are lots of parts of Microsoft culture I loved all through, and I wanted to amplify. In fact, if anything, what I did was I pattern-matched. When are we at our best? When are we at our worst? Let's do more of what we're good at, you know, uh, b- being at our best versus uh, not so much. And that's really what has shaped a lot of our thinking around culture. Now, you know, what the, the thing that I would say in retrospect even, we picked this cultural meme that was inspired by Carol Dweck's work at uh, Stanford called uh, Growth Mindset. Right. And in this, the concept is pretty straightforward. If you take two kids in school, one of them has more innate capability but is a know-it-all. The other person has less innate capability but is a learn-it-all. You know how the story ends. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. And so we said, you know, Microsoft, given the success we had, we had a little more of that know-it-all culture. And we said, no, let's seek to be learn-it-alls. And uh, let's not go around looking for all the know-it-alls. It's more about each of us confronting our fixed mindset and pushing ourselves to be a learn-it-all, right? The day you say you are a learn-it-all, you are a know-it-all right? I mean, that's right. the paradox of it. <laughs> and uh, and so I felt like th- having that as a cultural meme will help us make culture more of a first-class dialogue inside the company. And you can, you know, exercise it. It's not an abstract thing. Diversity and inclusion, that requires you to be a learn-it-all. Customer obsession requires you uh, to be a learn-it-all. And so I feel uh, we've really been able to at least put a framework in place. And the one other thing I would say, Jesse, is that If this was something that was just new dogma from a new CEO, I don't think it would have taken off. Uh, I think the only reason why we have uh, whatever momentum we have with this is because it speaks to us as humans, right? I mean, you're no one exercising their growth mindset or confronting their fixed mindset because Microsoft asked you to do it. Uh, I think as it'll make you a better person, a better colleague, a better friend, a better partner, a better parent. So it sort of even integrates uh, your work and life in ways that it appeals.
0: We're taking a quick pause here. Coming up after the break, Satya talks about how raising a son with cerebral palsy changed things for him. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash Promises Pay Off. And we're back with Satya Nadella. Well, where did you learn what you learned about patience and really about being human?
1: It's a, It's a great question. I mean, to me, I think we all, life teaches us. And I'm a big believer that the only way one learns is by being curious and most importantly curious about what's happening just to you and around you. Uh, and I can sort of, you know, in my own life, I would say that something that I talk a lot about is the birth of my first son for my wife and me was a big moment for us because we were both only children and, uh, I was 29 and my wife was, I think 27 when, uh, when our son was born and, uh, he, had, he has cerebral palsy and so therefore it was a big life changing event for us.
0: When did you figure out that he had cerebral palsy?
1: Pretty much uh, the day he was born because, uh, you know, there was he was born as a preemie as well as uh, with very low birth weight. And so we knew instantly. But I must say it took me probably a good four years, five years to truly recognize what had happened. Because what happened, the way I came at it was, oh... You know, something happened to me, our life and had changed, My all my well-laid-out plans had changed, and I was, I would say, mourning the change in my life. And then I was watching my wife go up and down uh, the 520 Bridge in Seattle to every known therapy uh, that was there uh, to give him the best chance. And then slowly I realized that nothing happened to me. Uh, my son has challenges, and I needed to step up as a father, as a parent, uh, to give him the best support.
0: God, you know, such a I think that happens in some way to so many people. Maybe it's not that thing, but something comes along in your life to totally humble you, to take you down, and then to make you stronger when you step back and figure out where it where it fits into the tapestry of your life. It builds... An empathy within you that you couldn't have otherwise.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the word I keyed on to, right? Which is uh, that empathy, to be able to see life through other people's eyes. And those closest to you in this case, even with my own son, I had all that difficulty of not being able to put myself in his shoes and see the world as he sees it. And then realized that I needed to step in and sort of do the best I can to help with my son. And think about it at work. And that was perhaps the best leadership lesson I learned. When I started, I I remember now distinctly, I do think that I I became a manager of people prior to my son's birth. But I think there was a real change in how I showed up. Uh, I I was able to relate better. Why is someone, um, you know, where are they coming from? What are they thinking? How can I help them? Because it's, you know, basically being a leader is, again, a privilege you have. And your job really is about being able to help people, you know, realize their best potential. That's what, in fact, is expected of you, right? Even if you want to make progress in your career, uh, you having empathy for your team is perhaps the best way for you to make progress in your career. Because if you do have empathy for your people, they will do their best work, your team will do your best, its best work, and you'll make progress. And so I think listening to your own life learning from your own life um, and that continuous journey like even empathy I sort of think about it's a big word right and it's a hard thing. But to me here's how I think about empathy. Let's take at business. What is business all about? It's about being able to somehow figure out the unmet unarticulated need need in the marketplace with your customers and going after it with some innovative new solution how are you going to come up with this un, uh, solution that meets the unmet, unarticulated needs of customers? I think the source of it is empathy. People talk about design thinking. I think design thinking is empathy. Uh, now, here is how I relate it. like You can't go to uh, work and say, oh, you know what, I'm going to turn on the empathy button because today I have to innovate. But if you say, okay, I'm just going to build this innate capability that I believe is in all of us because of our life's experience, apply it both as a people leader or as an innovator. That's why I think this empathy is something that is very needed uh, in business.
0: It's like a muscle, then, that you need to strengthen constantly by practicing.
1: That is right. And it's not about sort of uh, striving for perfection. It is more about that muscle that you need to exercise every day.
0: Sure. And you've also become an advocate for accessibility, too, in in a remarkable way. I wonder if you might share a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that... Obviously, but given my own uh, personal experience with my son, we've, I've grown up and really with an understanding of uh, what accessibility can do. Like one of the things, the greatest pieces of legislation in the world is the ADA, uh, right? I mean, when I think about... Uh, walkways in New York City or anything. It's just amazing as to what that piece of legislation has meant and done for people with disabilities to be able to access public spaces. And so I've always thought, like, what can we do? And in today's day and age, with all these breakthroughs in AI, I'm very thrilled to see how, for example, if you're a a kid in middle school with dyslexia, uh, you now have the latest and greatest in machine reading and comprehension that can help you learn to read. And just imagine what that does for that kid, which is once you read your academic performance and then ultimately your economic opportunity completely changes. Or someone with visual impairment can use the latest in computer vision to interpret the world around them. Uh, In fact, someone with ALS can communicate because of some of the eye gaze technology. So I'm very, very excited about uh, how technology can provide more of an opportunity for people with different abilities to fully participate in our economy and in our society. And I think it's also a universal, right? This cuts across uh, gender, ethnicity, countries, Uh, As someone described it, all of us will need some help at some point in our lives. And so therefore, I think it brings us together. In a world where uh, we talk about what can bring us together, uh, I think accessibility, universal design uh, brings us together.
0: Yes, connecting around the idea that we all need that help. That's right. So talk to me about the job itself and specifically how you manage the daily demand of it. Do you have things you do every day, like running or meditating?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think these daily rituals are super important. And in fact, what I've recognized is uh, the thing that, uh, for me, the daily ritual is just half hour of hitting the gym every day. It doesn't matter where I am, what time zone, how late I got in. Uh, somehow or the other, I get up and get to the gym. Uh, and it's just you know 30 minutes of running uh, and that first thing in the morning, first thing in the morning. And it just uh, makes a huge difference. Then um, there's this one thing that uh, a sports psychologist uh, for the Seahawks uh, taught me, which is a very awesome habit, uh, which is when you step out of bed, the first thing, you know, uh, it's dark, uh, you put your feet down and just say what are you thankful for? Uh, and that is a habit I picked up just five years ago when I first met him. And uh, that's another daily ritual of mine. And it's just grounding. It's so fantastic. Uh, it gives you the, the ability to get up in the morning and orient yourself, uh, you know, for the day.
0: I love that. So what are you thankful for this morning?
1: I'm thankful that this morning I get up, you know, I got an eight-hour sleep the last night, which <laughs> is the rarest thing that has happened to me at least in the last, oh, I don't know, maybe a year.
0: That is really wonderful. That is really wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us, Satya. It was great to have you.
1: Thank you so much, Jesse.
0: Again, that was Satya Nadella, CEO of Microsoft. In everything from his early decision to go to B-school to the way that he grappled with his son's cerebral palsy, Satya has shown that curiosity is his best guide. And if you want to learn more about the growth mindset, check out the work of Stanford psychology professor Carol Dweck. Her book is Mindset, The New Psychology of Success. And now back to that question I asked you right at the top of the episode. Do you yourself believe that your qualities are fixed or that you can change? Tell us why. Write to us at hellomonday at linkedin.com or post on LinkedIn using the hashtag hellomonday. If you enjoyed listening, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find the show. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show was produced by Laura Sim. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Maya Mangini and Victoria Taylor wrap everything up in a neat bow. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And you also heard music from Poddington Bear. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. See you next Monday. Thanks for listening. Um, that's great. I love that ritual idea.
1: Oh, it's a great one.
0: I, I try to do it before bed, and it's a good that's thing. To a grab good one to do it before bed but too. I'm but I love of, the
1: thing in the morning.
0: It sets your intention. And
1: he he has this thing about uh, put your feet on the ground, uh, bare feet, and just say, "Hey, what am I thankful for?" Yeah. Um, and if you. Pick the, I mean, it's a. It's an interesting one each day, and today it was, It's funny you asked because I was saying, "God, I feel refreshed."
0: <laughs> well, and it's also grounding too, especially because um, I would like to run every day. I try to run every day, but there are that that moment where I take my feet out of the bed and put it on the floor. That's the hardest moment in the whole run, right? <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't happen.
1: No, it is. It is one of those. <sighs> uh, like. Uh, I mean, the, the days I don't run or do something physical in the morning, yeah. God, I mean, I feel. I mean, it's also psychologically <laughs> builds on you.
0: Yeah.